thought I was writing this uh, almost a plea to myself, not trying to sound like all crazy and schizophrenic, but if I was sitting down at a fire with Gabe Dodd, this is what I would say to Gabe Dodd. Does that make sense? Or, or maybe like that what I would hope that my son or my kids, if I'm just pleading with them, like, hey, just, just work on this area, grow in this area, this is that conversation. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about this from a moral high ground, moral position. I've got this thing figured out. But I'm saying, come with me, come on this journey, because um, really, now that I've got the eyes to see what I think the Lord is trying to teach me, I see this everywhere. This happens when you buy a car or you get pregnant or any of those kind of things. That once you get interested in a car, then you see that car everywhere. And once this truth has been illuminated in my heart, I've started to see this truth everywhere. I see it come out in conversations here. I told one of the guys at the guys' Bible study Friday morning, I said, hey, look, uh, because of what you just said and what we've interacted with, you're going to feel like I'm preaching directly to you. I'm not, but you're going to feel that way because I see this theme rising up everywhere. So so, so let me maybe set the scene. I know some of this is going to be repetitious. Some of you guys have heard this before, but but for the new people, let me set the scene real quick. So um, my personality, I'm a driver, go-getter. There's, there's no wall we can't climb over. There's no, nothing that we can't beat, defeat. Let's just go get it. That's just kind of my personality. So uh, you fast forward to March of 2020, no one knew what COVID was, right? So we come to church on a Sunday, we preach, everything's great, we tear down everything. I had no other plans other than we're going to show back up next Sunday, we're going to keep preaching, we're going to have a great summer, we're going to move into the fall, everything's going to be great. Well, by that Thursday, uh, I heard of COVID maybe for the first time, I can't remember, right? It's like Sunday, everything was fine, the world was great. By Thursday, this COVID thing comes around. By Saturdays, the elders go, we need to cancel. By Sunday, Daniel Tipton's preaching in front of a camera in my living room, right? Like, that's how fast it went. And for all that you remember that first live stream, my foot made a great appearance because I didn't know that my foot was on camera and I wasn't wearing shoes, right? So, like, you you can go back and watch that. There's just a beautiful white foot that comes across the screen. That, that quickly. And so ultimately, I, I went into like hero mode. I'm going to fix this. Our, best, our church is going to have the best live stream we've ever had. There's no church that's going to be able to compete with what we're doing online. I'm going to pastor everybody incredibly well through COVID. I've got this. And within two to three weeks, I realized, oh no, I don't have this. That my life was out of control. And I love control. Control is something that I live in. Control is something that we live in, and suddenly the rope was pulled out. I mean, I'm talking within two or three days, my life was turned upside down, and I was grasping for any way I could to remain in control, and I couldn't. So COVID kind of came, and everything was stabling out a little bit, but it was like a Band-Aid had been ripped off, and I could not function. And for the first time, I had actually had a serious conversation with my wife and said, hey, like, I I need you to know that I've had like a suicidal thought over the last week, and we need to talk about this. So through tears, we talked through it, we prayed through it. The next hardest conversation I had was with the elders. I had to come to them and say, hey, you need to know this is what I've experienced. And so they're very quick to say, we need to get you into council. We need to get this figured out. So then I had to go sit on the counselor's couch and say, hey, you need to know. And I'm going, why do I have to keep telling everybody all of this? And all through the while, there's just so many sweet people that came, that jumped in, that served. But what was really underneath the service was 
my life was spinning out of control and I couldn't handle it because these were my plans. This is what I anticipated to do and COVID threw a massive wrench and all that. So, so fast forward to like early July, like I was feeling better. Things were getting better. I was getting into this rhythm, not because I was emotionally actually getting better, but because control was coming back. That the Sunday gathering, the Tardonias were letting us meet at their, their wedding venue. Things were starting to feel more like normal. I was back more into control. So if you've never done a house remodel, what makes you feel the most out of control in your own home as a house remodel? So we're in this remodeling project. Some of these things were coming up. Uh, my wife and kids go down to Panama City on a Saturday, Sunday. I stay back here, do some house remodel stuff, do some work stuff. Thursday, uh, Wednesday night, drive down there. Thursday, relax, hang out. Uh, here was my plan. My plan, just like COVID, I had a plan. Thursday, hang out with the fam. Friday, go deep sea fishing. Come back Friday night, finish up my sermon, Psalm 63. Hop in the car Saturday morning, drive home, come preach Psalm 63 Sunday morning. Everything was going to be great. All day Thursday, my wife didn't want to go fishing. All day Thursday, babe, babe, babe. This is free deep sea fishing, babe, you got to go. Babe, your mom's here, she'll keep the girls. Babe, babe, babe. Let's go fishing, right? Like that was our entire Thursday. Go fishing with us. Go fishing with us. Friday morning, she wakes up. I don't think I'm going to go fishing. Babe, go fishing. It's going to be great. So uh, I'm sitting in the boat. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. It's deep sea fishing, right? I'm sitting in the boat. My wife walks out with the fishing gear. I went, babe, right? Like we're fishing. We're doing this. So Grady and I were getting in the boat. We uh, have all the sandwiches and the drinks and waters. Calm down. We're going to go out fishing and then within 15 minutes, we're back because our life is forever changed, right? So again, for those that don't know, we hit an eight-foot wave. My wife uh, shattered her L1 vertebrae. A piece of the vertebrae went into the spinal cord, so instantly no feeling in her legs. Couldn't feel waist down. Uh, we get back to the house thinking it's just a compressed nerve. Uh, brother-in-law goes to the hospital, finds out his back's broken. Then we connect the pieces. You can't feel your legs because your back's broken, called the ambulance. Wife's in the hospital for 30 days. And I'm sitting on the edge of my bed in Panama City, just going, what is my life? Like, what is happening? There's literally, literally nothing I can do right now to fix this situation. I, I tried. I bribed the hospital $10,000 to get in to see my wife. Where was I going to get $10,000? I don't know. But I bribed them. I said, I will give you $10,000. My brother-in-law offered to build a wing on the hospital if we could get into the hospital. Couldn't get in. So I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I, I can't fix this. I, I can't do anything to make the situation better. COVID has the hospital locked down. I can't comfort my kids in the way that their mom could. I couldn't even potty train that dog that we just had. There was thought, no, I'm not even going to go there. We were near the ocean. I just want to throw the dog in the ocean. Here's how I can fix this situation. <laughs> Swim, Millie, go. <laughs> you laugh. I'm not joking. That was one thing that I could fix. Potty training a dog. Go. <laughs> and so from that, moving forward, I'm glad we could laugh at that. Uh, moving forward, there's been one text, one thought, one theme that keeps coming. Because as we grow, as those, those experiences and feelings start to get farther and farther away, we got to almost do a post-mortem 
I've been wrestling. Why did I feel that way? What led me to this point? Why did COVID affect me that way? Why did Bree's injury affect me this way? And I've came to one conclusion, that God did all of this for his glory and for my good to force me to release the control that I thought that I had. That's it. 100% to force me to think, to release the control that I thought that I had. So with that in mind, let's go to James chapter 4, 13 through 17. I'm going to read this passage. I want to talk about this for a little bit. And I want to plead with myself and with you guys to really implement this morning, this idea of control. Because it's a false illusion and it will catch up to you. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. For him, it is a sin. And so as I'm sitting there in Panama City on the edge of the bed, just getting off the phone with the doctor saying, listen, uh, surgery went great. Here's, Here's the reality. Here's what I know. Most people with this injury will never regain strength enough to walk. So she'll walk, but it's probably going to be with a walker. Crazier things have happened, but here's what you should prepare your family for, for your wife to be in a walker the rest of her life. As I'm sitting there in COVID, in the middle of COVID, with nothing in my grips being under my control, it felt like I was trying to grip sand, and sand just kept running out of my hands. Anything I tried, just white knuckle just raised through. It was because of this text. What is your life? So what we're going to see is, is two quick things I want to pray. What we should never say. As Christians, what we should never say. And in the light of that, what should we say? And the freedom that is found in this principle. So let's pray. Father, would you illuminate these truths to our heart? Would you open up our minds to the truth of your word? Father, because of where we live and how we live, we have placed a burden on our shoulders that you did not. Father, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. But because we try to control everything, Father, we have complicated all of this. So, Father, this morning, would we study the text? Would you illuminate it to our hearts? And would we walk out of here freer? Because we've seen the goodness of who you are. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So, so real quickly, because we all, if you have any kind of background in church, you've been around the book of James at some level. Uh, James was written around AD 40 to 45. Uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and the audience of James' letter is most almost certainly Jewish Christians living around and right outside of Jerusalem. 
Now again, James is such a great book because it's almost Proverbs-esque, right? And there's just great many statements and many sermons all throughout the book of James that it doesn't take much mystery to understand what the book of James is telling us, right? We, we read it and we understand it. Now, here's the massive 10,000 elephant in the room when it comes to James, is we never actually do it, Right? And we can have a Bible study about James. We can sit down. We can talk about it. Oh, this is great. We've gone through James 1 and 2. Oh, how many widows have you taken care of? Uh, what? How many orphans have you cared for? None. How, how much are you watching your speech? I just like the book of James, right? So, so here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to spend the next 20 minutes in the book of James and then not do anything with it. Like almost every other Bible study, I've been in the book of James. Let's do it. Let's read it. Let's apply it. And, and for me, here is, based on James chapter 4, what I've been telling myself over the last four months. So if it sounds harsh, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself, but if the shoe fits, right? Sorry, there's motion in my basement. Stinking Millie ruins everything. Millie's my visa. She's really great sometimes. Here's what I've been telling myself. It is idolatrous and non-Christian to make our own plans never asking, seeking, or considering the will of God. It is idolatrous and non-Christian to make our own plans never asking, seeking, or considering the will of God. Furthermore, it is wicked then to blame God for the results of our lack of faith and acknowledgement of the sovereign and perfect plan of God. Instead, we understand the brevity of life, seek his heart for all of our plans, and trust that what he decides is for his glory and for our good. We seek his face, we step in faith, we say Deo Valenti and rejoice in whatever the revealed will of God is. So these are just statements that I've been telling myself over the last couple months. It is idolatrous and non-Christian to make our own plans never seeking the will of God. It is then wicked to blame God for the results of our lack of faith and disobedience. And instead, the book of James clearly tells us what we should do. So let's first look at James 4, 13, 14 to see what we must never say as Christians. Look with me again at verse 13. Come now who you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what James is getting at is that these men and women that were going into such and such town, and, and for a year sounds strange, but it really isn't. I mean, when you think about the day of the time that they were riding in, they couldn't just hop in their car, drive over to the next town, sell a couple things and get back. I mean, they had to go for a year to actually make money, to make a profit. He's saying, you're, you're boasting in this fact that you can go over there and make a profit without ever consulting the true heart will of God for whether you should or should not do that. So some people have taken this out of context and said, see, you shouldn't make a profit. False. That is not the point of this text. You should make a profit. As Christians, we should work hard and we should make money and then you should give it to the church so we can build a building. That's what you should do with the profit that you make. 
So it's not the prophet that is the sin here. The massive sin, the elephant in the room, is that they're going and having this godless presumption, thinking that their life, future plans, and success rests in their own hands. That they're going to go do this just because they want to. They're going to do this because the opportunity seems right. They're going to go do this because there's a profit to be had. Because they are in control of their own life. The Bible says we should never say this. We should never presume. We should never walk into this truth. And he gives a very crystal clear reason. Look at verse 14. Because you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then James just gives this beautiful question that we should wrestle with. What is your life? What is it? What is your life? And then he gives an answer. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So this mist idea is just beautiful, somber, and humbling all at the same time. Because when you look at this word in the Greek, it literally refers to the smoke from a fire or vapor. The smoke from a fire or vapor. How quickly the smoke comes up and then dissipates. Right? And I think we've seen, I'm, I'm not throwing shade, just maybe vapor, vape. You seen these guys that vape? I mean, literally, like every time, I just want you to remember this image because every time we walk by someone that vapes and how quickly that disappears, that is our life. We're here today, gone today. I mean, that, that mist, that vapor is so quick and then it dissipates into nothingness. And James is saying, what is your life? You're that vapor. You're that smoke. You're that mist that's here today, gone today. And this just isn't an idea of James. Job, and a couple times in the Old Testament, this is pointed out. Uh, Job says in chapter 7 that my days are swifter than a shuttle. They just zip on by. Our days are just going as fast as possible. Job again says in in chapter 9, my days are swifter than a runner. Here they go, there they go. Not me runner, some of you runners. Like Carmen runner, that kind of fast running. Again, Job says they go by like skiffs of reed. King David in Psalm 102 says it this way, my days are like an evening shadow, meaning it's fading quickly. In another place in Psalm 39, David says that you have made my days a few handbreadths, a, f- a few of these. That's, that's how quickly our days go by, a few handbreadths. And then, of course, we all have probably heard Psalm 103, for a man his days are like the grass, that sprouts, greens, withers, and goes. So what then do we do with the brevity of life? If we're only here for a certain amount of time, if we're here today, gone today, what does this mean for us? Who's actually in control of our life? What purpose are we actually serving and living for? And is it actually ours? There's two things that we need to understand in light of this. First, we are in complete control of today that we don't even think we need help with tomorrow. So so here's what I mean by that. Because of where we live, and, I, and I'm grateful, I am so grateful for the common grace that I live when we live, where we live, and how we live. This is not a disparaging comment about America or 
uh, capital, I'm, I'm not getting into that. I'm grateful that God has allowed me to live where we live, how we live. But we have to recognize the downside of that is that we want for nothing. Nothing. Not a single one of us woke up this morning wondering how we're going to eat today. Not a single one of us woke up today wondering if we had clothes for the day. You're all fully clothed. Thank you. Right? Not a single one of us woke up wondering if we could make it to church because we're here. We want for nothing. And I praise God that he has gifted us in how we live today, but we have to understand that this permeates into I'm in complete control today, therefore I'm in complete control tomorrow, I'm in complete control in one year, two years, five years. So we have to see that we forget that we are missed because of the prosperity that we live in that we want for nothing. So there's a false assurance of control because of how God has blessed us but it's not anything we have done. It's only what he has done. But this idea of control just kind of messes with our mind. The second thing that we need to see is truly understand the brevity of life, the myths that we truly are. And in this context, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, makes a whole lot more sense. And Jesus' plea at the end of Matthew 6, 34 says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is our own, it's its own troubles. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. You know why Jesus says that? Because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. Now look right at me. I'm, I'm not trying to like shock jock, fear, add anxiety. I'm trying to free you up. But here's the reality. Our entire life could change by the certain ring of this thing, right? I mean, we are all so certain that we're going to get in our car, we're going to go home, we're going to take a nice Sunday afternoon nap, we're going to go back up, I'm going to whoop some fools at softball, then I'm going to come back, I'm going to cuddle with my kids, I'm going to go to bed, get up and do all this again tomorrow. I don't know that any of that's true. I don't, I don't know that any of that's true. I don't know that I'm going to make it to my truck after I get done preaching. I don't know that one of you doesn't have a Glock right now that's going to end my life. Don't. I mean, that wouldn't be nice, but we, we don't. But we walk around with this false assurance that we're in control, so we're going to plan and we're going to plan and we're going to plan. But Scripture's saying, you don't even know what's to Just worry about today. Just worry about today because you are not promise tomorrow, that we are a mist. There's a shortness, a brevity of life that we must press in on. So, so then what then do we do in light of all this? There's only one proper course of action, humble and genuine acknowledgement of one's dependence on the Creator God in all of our endeavors. A humble and genuine acknowledgement of one's dependence on the Creator God in all of our endeavors. We slow down in light of the brevity of life. Who's actually in control of all this? Whose counsel should I seek? Whose will should I seek? Because it's nothing that we can do to change God's mind. There's nothing that we can do to fix this situation. God is in control. So what then do we do? Man, that's a great question. Verse 15 answers it for us. Look with me at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live 
and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So I know maybe some of you are pushing back. So what are you saying? So we shouldn't plan. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't save for retirement. No, I was on a retirement Zoom with some of the business guys Friday trying to figure out how best to evade the taxes because of separation of church and state and get the most out of my retirement. Right? So I'm, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Well, kind of. But so, no, I'm not saying we shouldn't plan for retirement. I'm not saying we shouldn't make plans for the future. But what James is saying, if the Lord wills, should always be on our lips, should always be on our hearts, and should always be in our minds. It's interesting that phrase isn't actually that nowhere in the Old Testament, but Paul uses it all throughout the New Testament. In Acts 18, as he's uh, talking to the church in Ephesus, he says, I will return to you if God wills. Paul to the Corinthians said, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And we see this refrain in 1 Corinthians and Romans and 1 Corinthians 16 and Philippians 2, and if you think that he wrote Hebrews, Hebrews 6. However, in a similar instance, he talks confidently about his future plans without the phrase. And we see that in Acts 19, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 15. So the right mindset, dependence on God, is more important than saying the right words. Here's what we don't need in Christian living, another meaningless cliche. Can I get an amen? Or are we just too blessed to be stressed, Right? We just don't need any more of those. So what I'm not advocating for is just a Christian cliche that we just add on some t-shirts, put on a coffee cup, and never actually mean it. That's what not Paul's getting at. That's not what James is getting at. It's a correct mindset. It's a proper dependence on him. And when we look throughout church history, this theme has been around. The Puritans used this Latin phrase. I read it earlier, Deo Valenti, which means God willing. So the Puritans were, Puritans were constantly saying, Deo Valenti, Deo Valenti, Deo Valenti. And the Methodists, check this out, the Methodists did something right. The Methodists actually, I'm just kidding, low blow, I love Methodists. The Methodists picked it up and actually started signing all of their uh, mail-outs and all of their letters with the initials DV, Deo Valenti, God willing. Now again, you look at the days of the Puritans there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of scandals, and there's just a lot of sickness and early death. So you can wrap our minds a little bit more around while they would use the phrase Deo Valenti. You look throughout church history with the plagues and all, you would understand why they might use the word Deo Valenti. For, for us, man, we're good. We don't need to use this word Deo Valenti. And th that's where the trap is set. So we make the plans. We plan. I mean, there's parable after parable. There's teachings about, man, you work hard. You invest that money. You prepare until Christ comes back. But if our plans get thwarted, then we trust that the will of God is better than the plans and desires that we had. And so for me, here's just where I've been thinking about this over the last couple months. What if... When I was getting onto that boat, when I was hugging our girls by, when I was telling Mimi, have fun with the kids, even just in my heart, I said, we'll be back in a couple hours, Deo Valenti. 
we'll, we'll be back, and then we're going to go out to this, this uh, amusement park, and I'm really going to hope that your uncle's going to foot the bill because it's expensive day of plenty. Right? I mean, what if that was in my mind, that God willing, we're going to return from this fishing trip and everything's going to be fine? Then the accident happens. Then we return. My phrase is not, God, where were you? But now my phrase is, God, you weren't willing, so there must be something better. It is how quickly that mindset shifts if we start thinking, day of Lenti, day of Lenti, day of Lenti. What I had planned did not happen. Therefore, the only logical conclusion is that you had a better thing for our family. God willing, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to believe in that. But if we don't have that mindset, if that's not on the tip of our tongues, if our plan is gospel written down, no one can thwart it, then when that happens, God becomes the enemy. And God, help us. I mean, there's just that cliche that you hear, and it's in country songs. If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans, right? No. The God of the universe is not laughing when we mock him by making our own plans and forgetting what he says. There's no laughter by the God of the universe when that happens. You watch a parent when their kid acts in defiance and disobedience in front of them, and I guarantee you that parent's not laughing. There's a swift consequence coming. And in my house, well, it'll be swift. So no, God's not laughing when we walk in disobedience. God's not laughing when we tell him our plans. We're acting in direct disobedience. And then James continues. He intersected jarring note after this call for Deo Valenti, God willing. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. God is not laughing when we tell him our plans. Here the Greek would maybe be a better rendered. As it is, you boast about your pretensions. All boasting is evil. So evidently, the church that James is addressing this to, that people were openly going around bragging about their plans in spite of what God has told them and commanded them to do. Now, I think in the Bible about Christianity, this, this bragging about what we're going to do, what we're going to accomplish is still there. We just might be a little bit more quieter about it. But you hear all these white knuckle, we're going to do this, our plan is to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to accomplish this, I'm going to be married by this time, I'm going to have a job by this time, I'm going to graduate by this time, we're going to have this many kids, we're going to do this with our children, we're going to retire at this point, we're going to do this and this and this. All this stuff just comes out. And this is exactly what James is addressing. Yeah, we can make plans, but have we sought the counsel, the control, the wisdom of the God of the universe? And are we okay if God changes that plan? Teo Valenti, God willing. So we boast, but I believe it's a quiet boast. In verse 17, this whole section ends, this mini proverb with another proverb. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. So I, I think we clearly know what is the right thing, but let me just recap it. We are to reject the modern delusion that sees God as uh, irrelevant to life. And this being done, we are to embrace that the truth of our life is short and we have no control over its brief span, finally saying with all of our heart, Deo Valenti, God willing. And this is where I wish that I was a lot farther in this process, but here's what I can tell you. 
once you start to get on this side of that, life is so much sweeter. It, it really is. So, so I'm, I'm in our bedroom last night, Breeze, I don't know, I don't remember what we were doing. But we look up, and Carolee, my youngest, is laying on the bed, on her tummy, she's hands on her chin, feet kicked up, just enamored by Bluey on the television. So I look at her, I'm like, that's, that's cute. And I look at Bree, and I said, man, that must be nice. She's like, what? I said, look at her. She has no concern about what's going on around her. She has no clue what's for dinner, but she knows she's going to be fed. She has no worry about the things that are going on in this life, but she knows she's safe with her dad. She has no concern that it's right now storming outside, which came from nowhere, but she had a roof over her. She was fine. She literally, as she's laying there watching Bluey, has zero thoughts, concerns, anything. That must be nice. And the Lord just hit me. It is. And that's available to you too. As Christians, we have that. that we can lay on our bed and watch Bluey, not really Bluey. Uh, sorry. For those that don't have, Bluey is a kid's cartoon. They talk with their dogs. It's not that great. But we, we have that available to us. Like, why, why don't we walk more into this? How many times do we have to run into a brick wall before we start saying, God obviously might not be willing, so I'm going to trust in the will of God and stop trying to do all this on my own. Like, how many times do we have to screw up and screw up and screw up until God says, enough? Like, just trust me. Trust me that I'm in control. Trust me that I'm sovereign. Trust me that I own everything. I own cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm sovereign and that my way is better than your false narrative way. That my plan for you is better. You can just rest if you would trust me. Now, does this mean that we're not going to mourn when death occurs? Absolutely not. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. Does this not mean that there's going to be things that don't knock us off our rocker? Of course not. But if we truly understand the principle of Deo Valenti, if we truly understand what James is saying, that God willing, that when those things don't come about, God must not be willing, but God is still good. We can rest in that. We can take comfort in that. We can lay on the bed knowing that our God is in control. One commentator puts it this way. Most of us, without hesitation, affirm the sovereignty of God in their own creaturely contingency. Yet the question remains, is planning and managing our actual day-to-day lives, are we practical atheists? Let me ask that question again. In planning and managing our actual day-to-day lives, are we practically atheists? Are our prayers simply a formulaic show? Have we already decided with godless certainty what was going to happen in our lives, families, and careers? So we have to ask the question, are we living our lives as Christians, as functional atheists? Meaning, yeah, we might come here and we might read chronologically through the Bible and we might throw a tin in the offering basket. We might join a family group. We might do some Christian things, pray every now and then. But we never consult the will of God in concern for our life, our plans, and our futures. Deo Valenti is nothing to us. It's Gabe Valenti. 
It's I'm willing to do this, so I'm going to do it. It's into your name, Valenti. This is my plan. This is my will, and this will be accomplished. So I'm very interested in us this morning implementing this Deo Valenti mindset. Is God calling you or me to do something in his specific will? Perhaps it's to give up something. If so, may we say, Lord, I am willing. Is God calling us to go somewhere and we are resisting? If so, may we say, Lord, I'm willing. Perhaps he's calling us to accept a difficult responsibility. If so, may we say, Lord, I am willing. So, so when, and I've, I've told some of you this, when we were in Panama City, I'll, I'll start to wrap up here. Um, I, I, was just, I was grasping for straws. God, give me a verse, give me a passage, give me something. And it's, it's really funny, uh, I went back and read Psalm 63 this week, which was the text I was supposed to preach. And if I actually would have been prepared to preach that text, Psalm 63 would have been such a comfort for me. But I missed that one. So instead... I feel like through the Holy Spirit and Google, when I asked Google, what are some comforting passages for my soul? <laughs> I'm not joking. Spirit works. Uh, of course, I got the most cliche coffee cup verse of all time. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Right? I mean, you ask Google, give me a good Bible verse on comfort. That's all that it knows. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So here's what I noticed. When I was most anxious after a breeze injury, when I was most depressed after COVID, there was one direct correlation. It was my plan, not his. I had a white-knuckled grip on what I wanted to accomplish. When I was most free, the few nights after Bree's injury that I slept through, well, it was a week, a couple weeks later, that I slept through the night was when I trusted in the Lord's perfect will and did not lean on my own understanding. So as I'm sitting there Googling, how, do I, how can I buy a wheelchair van? As I'm sitting there, I'm calling the middle school principal or the elementary school principal, how can I get my kids checked in because we homeschool and I definitely can't homeschool, right? As I'm working through all these worries and fears and anxieties, just feel this welling up inside of me, but now I would stop and say, God, what is your will for this moment in this situation? Deo Valenti, God willing, those, those problems will take care of themselves tomorrow. What, what do you have for me today? I could literally feel the anxiety rush off of me when I would open up my grips and say, God willing, we're going to get a wheelchair van. God willing, we're going to put our kids back in school. God willing, you're going to make all this. But we didn't get a wheelchair van, and we didn't have to put our kids back in private school because my wife is a walking miracle because God is willing. But when I tried to control, it didn't work. So we have to wrestle. We have to ask is Deo Valenti a regular part, not just of our vocabulary, I don't care if you ever say that word, but of our mindset? Is that a reality for us? So, so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with as we end. What is the one area in your life that you are still not releasing to control, releasing the control up to God? Your plan is your plan, and God is not allowed to interfere 
Now, if, uh, if you will allow me, I'm going to chase one quick rabbit. Is that okay? Here's where I think one of the most negative side effects of living in the Bible actually is. For a lot of us, when we talk about this idea of control, God willing, do we understand what God is doing? If God doesn't give us this, is he still good? Yes, because that wasn't his will. His will is better for us. Where all of this starts to come unraveled goes all the way back to your moment of salvation. I want to be really careful with what I'm about to say because I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. But we have this, what a lot of theologians call easy believism. Walk this aisle, say the prayer, and you're good. Go to VBS, get a t-shirt, you don't want to go to hell, great, say this prayer and you're good. And so what we then have is we have a bunch of people that are walking around that have been baptized, that said this prayer, that went to this VBS, and Jesus is their Savior, but in no way, shape, or form is he their Lord. So yeah, Jesus saved me from my sins, but have actually submitted, all, released all control to him and him alone, that he is the Lord over my life. Whatever the Lord wills for me, he can do because I am his. He is my king. I am a peasant. I am submitting to him. Jesus not only saved me, but he is the Lord. He is the king of my life. So when we start looking at like, why is it? Why is it that we have such a hard time with this Deo Valenti idea? Here's where I think we have to have this elephant in the room conversation. I think that there's a lot of people, and again, this is not fear-mongering, this is just real talk, are walking around that aren't actually saved because they see that Jesus is their Savior, but they've never submitted to Him as their Lord. And you cannot separate these two. You cannot take what the Lord offers to you without sitting down at his feet, without bowing down before him, submitting to the lordship of, or submitting him as Lord of your life. You, you can't do it. And what this practically starts to look at then is, well, Jesus is my Savior. He gives me a lot of good things, but I don't actually have to do what he says. He's not my Lord. He's just my Savior. So if you struggle with this idea of Dea Valenti, my, my first question, but since I put all my cards on the table, are you actually saved? Has the Lord saved you and you've submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in everything? You said, here is my life. If you're willing, do something with this. I trust you with all of it because you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord and I submit everything to you. If this concept of Valenti is hard, I would go back to there. What is your conversion experience like? Have you said, not my will, but yours? Have you laid everything at the feet of Christ? That's the original conversation we have to have. And from there, then we can start saying, okay, what is that area that you cannot release control to? What is that fear that is driving you to control everything, where Dea Valenti does not roll off your lips. I'm going to end with just the three statements I've been working through. And now in light of this passage, let us consider these. It is idolatrous and non-Christian to make our plans never asking, seeking, or considering the will of God. Furthermore, it is wicked to blame God for the results of our own lack of faith and acknowledgement of the sovereign and perfect plan of God. 
Instead, we understand the brevity of life, seek His heart for all of our plans, and trust that what He decides is for His glory and for our good. We seek His face, we step out in faith, and we say, Deo Valenti. And we rejoice in whatever the revealed will of God is. So whether God spares or whether He doesn't, He's good. Whether the Lord opens the door for this job or He doesn't, the revealed will of God is good. Whether the Lord blesses you with children right away or He doesn't, the Lord is good. Whether the Lord provides this or He doesn't, the revealed will of God for our life is always good. And it is comforting that we don't have to be in control. That we can lay on our beds, we can go to bed tonight knowing and trusting that the Lord is good. So let's pray. Father, first would you forgive us? For far too long I have been walking around with this caricature that I am in control of every aspect of my life. And Father, would you forgive me for treating you like an ATM only coming to you when I need something? That my prayer life has been transactional at best. God, because ultimately I don't trust you that you're good. I don't release my plans to you because I think my plans are better than yours, that my ways are better than yours, that my thoughts are better than yours. Father, although I'd never express that, my life lives that. And so, Father, for me, even though 2020 was the worst year of my life, simultaneously it was the best year of my life. Because I've seen where my plans have failed. But I've seen where your plans have been made perfect. I've seen where you weren't willing, but the results of that were for your glory and for my good. So, Father, for my own heart, would Deo Valenti be on my heart, my tongue, my mind constantly? Would we plan? Would we prep? Would we work hard? But would we trust that you are going to do your sovereign will and that's the best thing for us? And for those in the congregation right now that are just tired of trying, they're tired of working hard, they're tired of being disappointed, they're tired of being let down, they're asking, they're wondering, they're doubting, they're questioning. Father, would Deo Valenti just be near and dear to their heart? That would we work hard, but would we release the control and trust? Trust that if that's not taking place, then you're just not willing. And that's not a bad thing, that is the best thing for us. And Father, let us even trace it farther back to their salvation moment. Have we submitted not only to Jesus as our Savior, but as our Lord? Have we given Him everything, all of our plans, hopes, careers, goals, futures, retirements, everything? Have we released all of this to Him? 
And can we say, Lord willing, we will do this. If the Lord is willing, we will walk in this. But if He's not, He is good. Because God can, and God will, but even if He doesn't, Father, You are still good. You're still in control. And when we lay our heads on the pillow tonight, we can sleep perfect knowing that truth. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.